Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Tiffany Norwood, CEO of Tibetan. We live in an amazing city, Washington, D.C. D.C. is rich in history and people who made and are making history today. Our nation is what it is today because our forefathers had dreams and had the inner force to make it a reality. We have a D.C. native, Tiffany Norwood, with us today. Tiffany is a serial entrepreneur, (laughs) (laughs) including seven startups to her name, to the automation technology behind self-install kits for broadband internet. In her 20s, get this, she raised $670 million to help fund a startup at the time called WorldSpace, which we might know as XM Radio. Tiffany has an MBA from Harvard and a bachelor's degree in economics and a concentration in statistics and electrical engineering from Cornell. Tiffany lived and worked in nearly 50 countries. Wow. I I don't think you're old (laughs) enough to to have accomplished that much. Amazing. First off, thank you for joining us today in Leaders and Legend. Oh, thank you so much for having me here today. I'm up to 52 now, actually. 52 countries. Wow. 52 countries, yeah. I've had a childhood dream of 119, so I still have a ways to go. (laughs) Less than halfway. (laughs) And, you know, I I love hearing the accomplishments and the journeys of legends like you, and I have the honor of of talking to many on the show. It excites me and reminds me of why there is such good in the world today. If you have a dream and believe in yourself and willing to work hard, Basically, anything is possible. It's simply electrifying. I have to share with our listeners, um, you know, if you were here in the studio uh, today with me, you could feel Tiffany's force and energy. So I got to ask you, um, what helped you believe in yourself? What What gave you your initial inspiration that made you who you are today? Well, you know, I mean, it's interesting when we're kids, right? We take our imagination so, so seriously. And basically, as a kid, I listened to my imagination. I focused on it in a hyper-focused type of way. And I created reality against that, or at least attempted and tried. So I've been practicing turning my imagination into reality ever since I was a kid. And you know, I've, I have such a strong faith and have always had a close relationship uh, with God. And so, like for me, because when I was imagining startups and traveling the world and creating things and technology in the 70s, I was born in the late 60s, there was nothing like it in the real world of any race or any gender. And I uh, sort of felt like my imagination was the way God, like, spoke to me, like, prayed to me in a way, um, which I know sounds really interesting coming from a scientist and an economist and a statistician and a technologist. But, yeah, that was my initial driving factor. You know, I have been a technology executive at Oracle, EMC, VMware, and Google, just to name a few. And often— I was the only woman sitting at the table, and rarely did anybody look like me. You are a woman of color and super accomplished in the tech industry. 
over over the decades. <laughs> um, have you seen things change? Yes. I mean, look, it could change faster. We've innovated a lot of things. I mean, when I started coding in the 70s, it was a Commodore 64. Now there's probably 10,000 times more technology in my iPhone than in the computer I had back then. But, uh, you know, we could innovate faster what's happening with women or people of color in the tech industry and the entrepreneurship space. But we have seen a lot of changes. So let's put it this way. I am the only successful black female tech entrepreneur of my generation that I know of in the world. Now there's quite a few of them that were born in the 90s or the 80s and that started things in the 2000s. So there's quite a a cohort of female entrepreneurs and people of color entrepreneurs and women of color entrepreneurs and techies. Um, But in my generation, when I started in the 70s, there was, you know, a smaller number in technology, a, a smaller number in entrepreneurship, and then none of them really did the path of being a tech entrepreneur. So I got to ask you, um, did you ever face a situation where you were faced with a situation where somebody was being biased? Is that a trick question, Irene? <laughs> well, I mean... Well, um, I, I, the answer is yes, yes, and yes, So right? I, I, I love asking this question because, mm-hmm. you know, I believe there's a lot of unconscious bias out there. Yeah. I don't think people get up in the morning and go, I'm going to be mean. Yeah. So dealing with strategies of how to handle that in, in, a, in a healthy approach, mm-hmm. in a way that helps that person learn, helps you learn, helps our listeners out there know how to face a situation like that. Can you give any strategies about how yes, to approach? Yes, definitely. And I appreciate the question. I think it's one of the most important questions because products or careers or companies don't fail, people do. And I would say that my secret for being the only woman of color, you know, tech entrepreneur was more around the soft, what we call soft skills that I developed. Uh, Back then, there wasn't as much of a term for it. But, um, you know, being able to cultivate optimism, grit, determination, um, being anchored in faith, Uh, You know, as I mentioned, faith in God for me, but the real secret sauce is faith in other people. And so even though like in my family, I was the first person to be born with all of my civil rights. You know, I was growing up coming on the tail end of Jim Crow. I was treated horribly for being a woman, a person of color. And um, when I was much younger for being, you know, super young, you know, like when you raise hundreds of millions of dollars in your 20s, and this is before Google or Facebook or any of them. So I had sort of this attack coming from me from a variety of different places. But um, what I recognized was that for everything that you want in life, especially big things, suffering is a price to pay. And this is no different. It can be a marriage. It can be kids. It can be, you know, living the life of your dream of launching this platform that allows the world to speak to the world. So, and I was a competitive athlete as well. So, you know, my mindset, which is the most important, is that there will be suffering. Suffering will be a price to pay. Patience is a virtue. And then winning is the best response. So I focused on the goal of winning at that dream and filtered everything else out. And I think that's really important because, you know, we still have a long ways to go. 
with regards to having, you know, more diversity um, in a variety of spaces. But the fastest route to change is the person and the fastest route to change for the person is mastering themselves and their minds. You're listening to Leaders and Legend on Federal News Network, and our guest today is Tiffany Norwood, CEO Turbetton. So, Tiffany, you, you talk about having faith, mm-hmm. and, and then you bring up people. And I find that some folks don't realize that something's going on with the person across the table, and their reaction may have nothing to do with you. Do you find that sometimes you need to lean in and, and have faith? with the person across the table about maybe what their world's upside down about? Yes, definitely. I mean, I don't know about leaning in. It's been, I'm more of a frontier tech entrepreneur. So <laughs> I shouldn't use that term. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, <laughs> definitely. I mean, in, in some cases it is about leaning in, right? But because I'm frontier technology and, you know, it's been global and sometimes even doing startups and conflict zones, like, you know, I had the chance to, uh, work with Nelson Mandela when we were at World Space uh, when we launched the satellite over Africa in the Middle East, and it was um, we had actually launched that satellite first in 1998, and it was because he was going through truth and reconciliation post-apartheid, building a post-apartheid country and government, and he really wanted to leapfrog with the communication platform and heard about what we were doing, and that's why I laughed at the lean in. I mean. When you are in post-apartheid Johannesburg, you have, you know, men. I was pretty much the only woman, different ages, different races. And there is literally a war sort of going on around you. We had some very, very difficult conversations and it was uncomfortable. Sometimes it was super, you know, loud and aggressive. But we created this family bond and got you know, it done and launched the satellite and launched the platform in very, very difficult situations. One of the things that I always find curious, you know, about in the U.S. is this, um, you know, we want to transform an uncomfortable situation or a difficult situation, but have it be easy or comfortable while we're doing it. And it just doesn't work that way. So, yes, I say, you know, Always be open to hearing what's going on from the other person's perspective. Sometimes get into a fight and then just make sure to try to resolve it, you know, at the end of it all, right? And then keep going forward from there. Uh, Tiffany, uh, one last question about Mm -hmm. uh, teaching, you know, startups, uh, you know, the importance of having that magic. Um, How do you teach that? How do you turn that spark on or, or do you? not invest in companies that don't have that? So, you know, I'm more of a founder than investor. The investment is a means to the end. So I'm always really excited about helping to build something and start something. And then usually I risk everything I own for it. And um, and I've been blessed to have other people also take chances on it. Um, yes, it's definitely a process and a method. I'm I'm very much into the scientific method and processes, which hence, you know, my heavy tech and economics and math and science background. Um, and so as, you know, as I'd mentioned before, since I was a kid, I've been making my imagination real and I would keep noting the process and refining it. And 
Um, my latest startup, Tribetan, is solely focused on the science of turning imagination into reality, which I uh, consider the entrepreneurial skill set and the innovator skill set and teaching that to everyone because um, being able to make your ideas real will be important for success in business and in life generally the way literacy was generations ago. I'm speaking with Tiffany Norwood, CEO Trebetton. Coming up, we'll continue to talk about the art of storytelling and why mastering the art is so important to success. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Tiffany Norwood, CEO, Tribetton. Tiffany, in the world that mostly focuses on the advances of technology, in our discussion here, you focus mostly on people. I heard you, and I will try to paraphrase this, so please excuse me if I get it wrong, is that the key to the world of innovation is unlocking the internal innovator. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, everything happens through other people. And so, you know, part of the Tibetan method is around what I call the currency of faith and connection. And that if you believe in the connections that exist amongst us, you're a billionaire because there's seven point X billion of us in the in the world. If not, you start chipping away at your creative wealth. Right. And interesting um, when I was first talking about this, people were like, what are you talking about? And I would say, oh, you know, the economist in me, oh, well, the currency is this faith and connection. You transact through storytelling, you know, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, people are used to alternative currencies. Last year, I was a keynote speaker for Omidyar's uh, launch of their fintech uh, report. <laughs> and so it goes to... Uh, you know, the lesson learned is in that is that if you stick with the things that you believe in and keep talking to other people about it and finding your believers and refining it as, you know, with the mastermind of believers, eventually you can go from people thinking you're totally crazy to being considered an alternative currency by a well-known tech company that, that invests in fintech. So storytelling mm -hmm. is an art, and you teach a workshop for your startups, correct? Uh-huh. Now, tell us about your approach to teaching this very important art, because it's an art. That's not something that you can memorize, right? Yeah, I mean, it's an art and a science. So there's a framework for it, right? But then because it's a framework versus a template, you can make it your own. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I judge a lot of pitch contests, and it's like, hey, I'm – you know, have this problem. I'm so-and-so, founder of uh, Acme Company. And it, it's very rote. It's very non-human. And then they go on to deliver a lot of information. With the Tribetan method, where we teach persuasive storytelling, we first, um, you know, tell the entrepreneur innovator to focus on the universal languages of connection, which are conviction, objectivity, and grace. And I'll explain that in two different ways. Conviction is showing that it's important to you, um, that you're not going to give up, right? And so you can do that in words and gestures and tone. Objectivity is that it's rooted in reality. And so you can demonstrate that with numbers and data or prototypes or wireframes or drafts, right? 
And then grace shows that it's a value to another person to the extent that they would pay you for it or donate to it, right? So another way of quickly looking at that is conviction is you, objectivity is the product or the service, and grace is the customer. And if you have those three components and then focus on initially making a connection versus delivering information, uh, typically you'll get to a point where people are asking questions, you're in discussion, and then you go from there. So I have a question in one of those areas, conviction. Mm -hmm. Now, some people might even call that authenticity. You know, people have to believe do you find that something that you need to work on? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like you can't uh, express conviction unless if it's authentic. There's something inside the human that can is like a, a non-authentic lie detector, right? So everyone will express conviction in different ways unless if you authentically believe in something – uh, it's it's hard to nearly impossible to truly express conviction in something. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network, and our guest today is Tiffany Norwood, CEO Turbatten. So, um, the art of storytelling is truly a life skill. No mm-hmm. matter what your field of study may be, um, whether you're just starting out or like I shared with you, uh, if I have four kids and if they're just starting out into the job field. Uh, I have had the opportunity to talk to mentor many young women just entering or beginning their career in technology for my kids, besides my kids. <laughs> um, I coach them that you need to have a story and be able to give it in an elevator, uh, in a, at a party, or you know, at a grocery store. Um, you need to have that story down, and you need to really believe in that story, as you shared, that mm-hmm. authenticity. What advice would you give to somebody trying to develop that story that is just starting out? How do, how do they get started? Yeah, well, you know, first it's what do you want? And so, again, it goes back to the imagination and wholeheartedly capturing it, right? And usually I'll do a sketch or note or essay to myself. And then I'll start to write a narrative because we live in a narrative uh, base. Reality. So like any other journal entry, look, you're not going to go up for a Pulitzer or anything, and it's to yourself originally. Um, And then the key thing is to start practicing telling it because the win is the story leaves the room. So very rarely, especially because I'm dealing with frontier tech and large transactions, do I tell a first story and people are like, let me get out my checkbook. I mean, who even has a checkbook, right? And probably the cash app has some sort of transfer limits. But what I want them to do is to go home or go back to the office or come into the studio with you and be like, wow, you know, I was hearing that Tiffany Norwood talk about, you know, imagination to reality and persuasive storytelling and it as a core skill set. You, you should check her out. And then one thing leads to another, leads to another, and someone's cousin, friend, whatever, emails me back. That's how we met, right? That is correct. <laughs> so it's, how- it's like social media that has always been the foundation of personal, person-to-person communications means more than anything, that connection. Exactly. It's going viral in the analog. It really is very binary. I don't mean to bring the coder in me into the the studio, but it truly is a pass or fail. Either the story leaves the room or it doesn't. The narrative is most important. 
Um, you tell it everywhere, grocery store, subway, dry cleaner. Um, and because of that, uh, I see so many people put such a strong emphasis on the PowerPoint, but you got to have the narrative first. I'll sort of close out uh, this theme by saying, you know, that that uh, philosophical question where does a tree make a sound when it falls in the woods if no one was there to hear it? Really, the question is, does a tree make a sound or even exist at all if no one talks about it? Right. Or what if they come out and they're like, no tree, no sound didn't exist. And it did like that's the, the narrative trumps everything. It's the most important thing, the story. And it was part of my inspiration for wanting to bring the three satellites to the world and have that, you know, global media platform launch with World Space. Let's take a step back for a minute and and back to technology and innovation. Okay. Um, I read that you believe everybody should learn to code. Yes. I do too, by the way. (laughs) Please share why you have such a strong passion around this subject. And if you think we need to readdress how we approach education in the United States. Yeah, because, you know, I think everyone should learn to code. I also think everyone should study philosophy. That was something I started studying later in life. And I'm like, oh, I've made the mistakes that people have been making for thousands of years, right? But they don't usually teach (laughs) philosophy in elementary school. No, no. And they (laughs) didn't code, right? Because I started coding in the 70s and I taught myself originally from a book in a Commodore 64. I think the important reason for everyone to learn to code is if we go back to the storytelling, it's a precise form of storytelling that you're telling to the computer and that you're telling it over and over again. It's so precise that literally transforms reality in small ways and sometimes in massive ways, right? And so um, if you – I wish I had brought some of my code, earlier code into the studio – um, because my code is very clean. You can almost say it's girly, really pretty code. And you can see the story of it, like as you're flipping through. And and that form of precise storytelling is then very useful, like in school and business and mediation, like if you're trying to mediate a situation. Um, and so I think everyone should learn to code of every age, cradle to grave. I'm speaking with Tiffany Norwood, CEO Turbetton. Coming up, we'll talk about the changing technology landscape and the role of innovation will play in our future. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Tiffany Norwood, CEO Turbetton. So, uh, Tiffany, few changes in the world have created more uncertainty in the workplace than the recent seemingly sudden advances in automation and artificial intelligence. Driving and leveraging innovation, many believe, can make the difference of companies having a future uh, and and possibly even change the order of world power Mm -hmm. when you really come down to, especially AI with weapons. Um, AI, cloud, 5G, quantum technology, just to name a few, are really changing everything we do in touch. I I think McDonald's just bought an AI company. Mm, Um, The technology cycle and the advances are simply on hyperspeed. You know, it used to be five, ten years you had before the next really big revision. Now it's months. Can you talk about the changes you've seen in the startup market in the last five years due to these technology advances and the need to innovate to stay relevant? Yeah, sure. I mean, 
as you said, you know, there's always been innovation and there's always been technology, but the pace of change is getting more and more and more compressed. And, and in the tech vertical, it was already compressed compared to other industries like, um, you know, hotel or, or whatever. We've sort of infiltrated everything. You know, the interesting thing um, from my perspective is that having built a lot of these technologies, it was never my intent to replace the human. So it sort of loops back to what we were talking about at the top of the show. It was meant to be in support of the human or to make the human better. So I know this isn't specifically the question you asked, but I, having this platform, I, I want to sort of talk about this a bit, which is throw down a challenge for us as a society, uh, both in the United States and the world, to sort of take a step back and look at how we can use technology more to support the human with the human at the top of the sort of mastermind versus um, having this goal of replacing the human or, you know, being more efficient or low cost because I would make the case that effectiveness is more important than efficiency. And even in my own day-to-day life, so I'm not just, you know, hot air, um, I, I drive a stick because I want to actually drive the car and be conscious of my driving. I learned to drive on a stick, and I just went back to driving a stick last year. Uh, we see some of the stuff going on uh, with uh, the airline industry and pilots and flight. It actually, and I travel a lot, right? But, you know, I think um, using this technology to put a heavier focus on autopilot versus the sort of supporting the pilot is something that concerns me. Some of the stuff that we see with automated driving, like the you know the driverless cars, um, I think uh, to me personally, I wouldn't have that be a goal. I would have making humans better drivers with the technology a goal, reducing accidents and reaction times versus totally taking the human out of the equation. And so. Um, Yes, I do see uh, technology and innovation um, as very important drivers. I've made my whole life off of it. I love it. I love innovating everything. But also I want to advocate for the human and that we should uh, really step back a bit and consider should we even have as a goal full replacement of a human being in certain areas of society. Machines are great at looking at black and white, taking data and being able to very quickly, medical advances of being able to recognize whether a tumor or a mole is cancerous is actually much more effective by machines. But there's so much in the world that is gray that requires interpretation. And until we learn how to code humanity, Mm -hmm. I think there's areas where AI probably should be, um, as you put it, the second in line for the food chain, and humans need to interpret it. Well, and also, I mean, people act like there's a... There is machine learning and there is uh, some quote-unquote self-actualization. But at the end of the day, if you leave a code or or algorithm or machine to itself without human intervention and improvement, it gets old and stale pretty fast. And I know that for a fact because I have, you know, my own 
tech museum. Some people may call it junk, right? And at each point in time when I bought these various gadgets, they were considered the most transformative thing in real time, right? But when people look back at it, they're like, what's that? Like when, when I was at a university recently and, and brought some of this stuff and and they were first year business school students, they were all fascinated with the Sony Walkman cassette deck. My like kids. as if it was like the craziest thing. Or if you show a clock with um, a manual clock with regular hands, they'll have trouble telling time with it. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. Our guest today is Tiffany Norwood, CEO Tribetan. So, Tiffany, I got to stop for a minute and ask you that the clock speed of technology certainly has gotten faster, at least for me. My kids went in my closet the other day for an 80s party, and, you know, I thought those suits were fine <laughs> with those big <laughs> But they borrowed them. <laughs> but um, I'm a little older than you, but back when I started, um, the government was a major force in technology but today, industry and other companies are playing that major role or, or at least an equal major role. You, you worked with the State Department and you work with many startups. Do you think we have a, a national security issue? Do you think the U.S. needs to do, be doing more to help the startup technology you know, industry in the U.S. and, and to maintain somewhat uh, you know, a lead, I would say, for uh, technology? Yes, definitely. I mean, first off, we are the poster child for entrepreneurship and innovation in modern society. Like in the past, when people thought of entrepreneurship, they thought of the United States. When they thought of tech entrepreneurship, they thought of Silicon Valley. That has definitely changed over especially the past five plus years. Um, you have a lot of other countries catching up, doing really transformative things. I mean, interestingly enough, when I was speaking at the Creative Business Cup in Copenhagen a couple of years ago, and there was like 60 countries represented, and they had various delegations. And one thing that was very clear was that the United States was, and our delegation was the only one talking about health insurance and costs. Like the other countries were like, we, we have no interest in talking about that because it wasn't an issue. And I thought, oh, that's really compelling. I mean, I've been to a lot of countries. I've experienced that firsthand. Um, I've been a plan administrator as a small business owner. But, you know, when I put on the startup hat and the entrepreneurship hat and you're competing with other countries, that was an interesting um, dynamic. The other thing is that entrepreneurship is being more infiltrated into general society. And so, you know, like like European Parliament has had me come in and speak and the Italian Parliament and they're looking at a variety of models and there seems to be more diversity of thought in what they're looking at. Whereas because we've been entrepreneurial for so long, it's considered the American way. Uh, we almost think that it's sort of like hashtag know it all. Like we almost think that we know the best models for what entrepreneurship and innovation is and we haven't been on a more structured basis trying to learn from some of these new startup economies and what they're doing in a from a green field blue sky perspective. Is it Estonia that has like a digital citizenship? Um, so they're doing some really cool things with like digital citizenship. And I met the the member of European Parliament from Estonia and they were talking about that and I was like, oh my God. 
God, that's so cool. I wish we had something similar or working harder to collate your expats. And also, I feel like the U.S., we should have a peer-to-peer platform at, at a federal level, the way Uber and Airbnb, et cetera, does. And then using that, say, for uh, veterans so that the regular society, like the rest of us, can support veterans. So, Tiffany, you know, raising capital is mm-hmm. stressful, let alone running a startup. I mean, that's, you know, you're you're you know stapling, photocopying, and, and meeting with, you know— you know, CEOs, right, to, to, or, or major VCs to get funding. It's, it's got to be stressful. Um, I read in LinkedIn an article you wrote, and uh, I hopefully I'm going to pronounce this right, Exactantic 2.0, The Coexistence of Excitement in Panic. Now, I'm going to quote you in this. There is a stereotype that people who do bold things and convince others to go along for the ride somehow have a mystical ability to avoid fear, anxiety, or panic. Not true. The only difference is that in that chaos, they maintain faith. First off, I loved the article, and I highly recommend everybody to listen to it. Can you share what you mean? Yes. So, yeah, I even invent words, as we all do, right? And it's excitanic, and it's the simultaneous experience of excitement and panic, um, which is a very common state of being for entrepreneurs, especially in startup. I think uh, there's a duality to success, especially entrepreneurial success. Uh, People will see the front end of it, which is you're hitting milestone moments like raising the money or doing a beta release, et cetera. But usually right alongside of that, you're worried about losing your home or making payroll or maybe you've had a cancer diagnosis or any of these other real life things. And the people that are most successful are able to maneuver through that duality. Um, and and so, like, I always like to say the straight line exists in the past, that really it's more like trying to stay in the center of the eye of the storm and make your way to the destination. And it's the people that can handle that the storm is all around them and find that center space and stay focused and calm. I'll tell you, Eileen, if you want to um, help your kids be prepared for being an entrepreneur or an innovator, you can send them to India, have them find one of those gurus that can walk on hot coals and maintain their sanity and focus and clarity while they're doing it. You can do that if we're work, in a workshop <laughs> I here think in the that U.S. Would be, I think that would be better <laughs> or bring them over here. I think that would be better training than, say, um, a class of almost anything else. <laughs> Great advice. I'm speaking with Tiffany Norwood, CEO Trebetton. Next, we'll talk about how Trebetton helps the next generation of startups. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Tiffany Norwood, CEO, Trebetton. Tiffany, you have the ability to do just about anything. What has inspired you to found and to run Trebetton? What services can you provide and who's a typical individual or company that works with your organization? Yeah, so Tribetan is sort of the culmination of all the other startups in my life. And 
and um, the process and the framework and the method in which I make my imagination real, not just for technologies, but also um, as a kid, I loved uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth, you know, with Mount Etna and the volcano. And so I also use that framework to climb to the top of Mount Etna and look in or to me, you know, the literacy of innovation or the entrepreneurship skill set is a foundational skill that's as important as reading, writing, and math. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like say three or four generations ago, you didn't learn to write or to read to become J.K. Rowling or a New York Times bestselling author, although some people do, right? It was more a basic life skill and the same thing with this entrepreneur and innovator and creator skill set of, you know, taking your imagination seriously, persuasive storytelling, cultivated grit and determination, you know, all those, like knowing how to cultivate your own tribe or ecosystem. And so I've been uh, with Tribetan teaching everyone that skill set. Because I believe in the individual. So literally from cradle to grave, it's gone from five-year-olds all the way up to people in their late 70s. And I had a show uh, last year, uh, sort of like my version of Hamilton meets Schoolhouse Rock, uh, that taught the framework in a fun, entertaining way with music and animation and performance. Um, and over a 1,000 people ended up coming to it, and they ranged wow. in age from 18 to 78. I was just as surprised as you because <laughs> the first time I had ever written and produced and directed, you know, and, and sort of starred in the show and I casted five other entrepreneurs um, in it as well. Um, and they got it, you know, like if we're going to be more innovative as a society, like innovate our schools, innovate our communities, innovate science, innovate whatever, um, more people have to uh, be able to take their imagination seriously and bring it into the world. And so that's what I focus on right now with Tribetan. We have workshops. I have uh, performances and keynote speeches. And um, it's been a tremendous amount of fun and so impactful. Sounds fantastic. So tell me, is there a startup experience or a company that, you know, an instance that you're most proud of that you worked on? Um, you mean for one of my startups? I would say, uh, or, or, or a, a you know a Tibetan you know so customer. like I'm really proud of what's going on with Tibetan. It's a lot of suffering, like any startup, um, and I am like, oh my god, am I going to lose my home? Um, but I, I've the impact, like it's just been the loop back where um, there was a psychology uh, major in one of my audiences in Rome, for example. And I went back six months later to give another talk there. Um, and she came up to me and gave me this blue origami flower and said, oh, knowing your framework, I'd always had this dream of using origami as um, psychotherapy, but I thought I would have to go get my MBA, blah, blah, blah. And then instead, I just went home, start talking to it. my parents, my teachers, did a fast forward and get emotional um, in that six month period finding her tribe and believers and collaborating with them, which is all part of the Tibetan method. She not only started the organization, but that blue flower was from one of the first patients that had used um, that new modality of treatment. And so to have that level of impact in six months or um, world space and working with Nelson Mandela was huge. 
also there was a clinic uh, that we had um, launched in Ethiopia that treated 12,000 patients now, which is cool. Um, And then uh, Next Generation Broadband, because we were on the frontier of uh, automating self-install kits for broadband internet and digital phones. So we were the technology behind um, the kits like at Best that you would, say Best Buy. Okay, Best Buy. <laughs> and other stores that were, because uh, we had launched in 2001, that then allowed people to go into these stores, buy a cable modem and an install kit with, you know, CD-ROM. And we were some of that advanced technology behind that, whereas before you always had to have truck rolls. And 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 the first one strap backpack. So every time I see people on the street with, you know, I love those. I love the. I, I really am proud of all the creations and always so excited to meet customers uh, from past, present, and ideally future. <laughs> Fueling your conviction yeah. and, and being authentic about it because you authentically can talk about people who have successfully. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. And our guest today is Tiffany Norwood, CEO, Turbetton. So if you're a listener out there and would like to follow in your footsteps, mm-hmm. what advice would you have for them? I mean, you, you, I can feel your passion, your, you know, you're, you're very satisfied um, uh, on, on what's happening in your life, even though there's a little chaos, you almost feed on it. So, you know, there's others out there that would like to feel that same kind of passion about what they're doing for a living. What advice would you have? Yeah, so I would say, you know, take as an adult, as a child, um, I've always taken my imagination very, very seriously. So I would take it. Um, your first step is to take your imagination seriously. I feel like there's some sort of higher intelligence uh, there, something that your subconscious is processing um, that can see opportunities or interests and match them for you, um, which means that typically you need to capture it. So journaling and sketching things that we think we have no time for ever uh, do. Um, also, if you're a parent, start sort of establishing a portfolio for your kids because all human beings will always be most successful in what they're meant to do versus what other people think they should do. Um, my parents are very supportive, but there were some moments where my dad was like, what the what? And I stuck with it, right? And the world changed around me. And before he had passed away, he was uh, very proud that I stuck with my guns because he couldn't see where it was going. So like as parents, I would say to start keeping a portfolio of crazy things they've done and sketches and whatever. And then instead of telling them what to do at a certain age, give them that portfolio and they'll sort of probably see the pattern of what they were meant to do. Sort of like an assessment of of your skill set. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we all had videos and pictures and sketches? And and my mom had saved a lot of stuff. Um, Now it's even easier because you could just create a Dropbox, right? Um, And I've done that for quite a few of my godchildren, one in particular, so that periodically I toss her back to her when she's confused about or deciding what the next step should be. So I got to ask you – if you had pearls of wisdom to give that next godchild um, who was starting a company, you know, we, we talked about, you know, how to help assess somebody just starting out. Mm-hmm. But now you, you have a great idea, you know, you know this is a huge market opportunity. What pearls of wisdoms would you 
give somebody who wants to start a company out there? Uh, so it's the same pearls of wisdom that I give everyone. Um, I also mentioned that on the Tibetan website, we have the Tibetan method and the seven steps. But it's what I do, right? It's first I'm anchored in my core beliefs of connection. And so I'm like, okay, just remember, Tiffany, you don't have to do this yourself. Just first clarify the idea. Other people will come and help you. That's the core foundational belief. Then the second step is the imagination, taking it seriously, capturing it, trying to detail it and best as you can to clarify for you the destination you're shooting for. Again, not how to do it. You then third step translated into a story that other people can understand what you're trying to describe in your mind, uh, the destination that you have in your mind. So it's not, hey, I want to go north. It's I want to go to Brooklyn, right? And I want to go to Brooklyn because it's super cool. It has all these new restaurants, a great, you know, music scene and da, 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 blah, blah, blah. And then you keep telling that to people until someone's like, hey, I'll go to Brooklyn with you. Let's figure this out, right? Then from that story, you're attracting tribes of believers. You focus on your believers. It's like non-believers need not apply. Now, what I mean by that isn't everyone that agrees with you. It's a different sort of uh, like a non-believer is more just talking about all the ways it wouldn't work versus uh, sort of collaborating or co-dreaming with you, even if it's like, you know, I don't know about that, but what about this, right? And when you engage with them, you're typically more energetic, from that, you then collaborate in specific ways, more of the details on the website. And then the sixth step is maintaining faith because the fear, anxiety, and panic is real. That is the one thing that's 100% guaranteed, right? And so we'll have like weekly meetings on product or monthly meetings on, on the investors, but no one systematically uh, sort of... Uh, develops the conviction and the determination. And so we have protocols for that. And then the seventh aspect is practice. And so it's about experimentation. It's about cycles of practice. It's about, right, first version done, 1.2, 1.3.4, second version done. Um, but having that mindset for everything, including when I start doing public speaking, the first speech, oh, my God. But two weeks later, by the second speech, which I think you – watch the one in Greece, uh, everyone was like, have you been doing this forever? And it was just getting that first practice out of the way. I'd also like to say that, you know, with Tibetan, we're in the business of that. So if there's any organizations or institutions or companies that are interested in talent development or keynotes or workshops around developing generally the entrepreneur or innovator's skill set or specifically around persuasive storytelling or cultivated grit, uh, feel free to reach out to me at we at tribetan.com. So W-E at T-R-I-B-E-T-A-N dot com. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Tiffany Norwood, CEO Tribetan. Tiffany, I first just want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your journey and some seriously valuable advice for those uh, folks out there wanting to start up a company or develop their talent out there. Your pearls of wisdom were invaluable. I'm Aileen Black, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.